Before we dive into this powerful episode with my friend Pierce Shao, I want to first tell you about our sponsors. This year, I'm really making sure to take better care of myself before and after my workouts. And one of the areas that I know I have the most room to improve on is getting enough sleep and making sure that it's high quality. Lagoon has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with a performance pillow that has everything that I need. Through Lagoon's two-minute online quiz, I was matched with the Puffin Pillow, which I love because it helps regulate my body temperature through the night and it's fully adjustable. This means that I can add or remove the filling to get my body adjustment just right. I tend to get very hot when I sleep, so I love having a high quality pillow that keeps me cool at night. Thanks to my Lagoon pillow, waking up from my morning runs has never felt better. I feel refreshed and pain-free. I also fall asleep almost instantly when my head hits the pillow at night. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash Jeremy and take their two-minute sleep quiz to find your match for your perfect pillow. Use the code Jeremy for 15% off your first purchase at Lagoon Sleep. You hear me talk about it all the time that recovery is just as important as training, and that's why I use Soothe Organic CBD. Soothe Organic CBD is a premium USDA certified organic CBD company based in Colorado. I personally know the owners of the company and I've been using their products for months. Soothe Organic offers a variety of delivery methods personalized for your specific training needs. You can get topical CBD cream, CBD oil tinctures, capsules, and gummies. I personally love the organic strawberry lemonade gummies. They taste fantastic and they're an easy way for me to kickstart my recovery after a race or a hard training session with 25 milligrams of CBD. Thanks to the help of Soothe Organic CBD, I can confidently tackle my toughest workouts without having to fear fatigue or side effects during my recovery. Through my own experience with Soothe Organic CBD, I spend far less time recovering and I can get back to work much faster. Use my code SOOTHEWITHJEREMY for 20% off your first order at SOOTHEORGANIC.COM. You know I take my running fuel seriously and I'm very intentional with it. That's why I was ecstatic when I found 2 Before Performance Nutrition. 2 Before is a New Zealand-based company on a mission to help elite and everyday athletes thrive in their chosen sporting endeavors through the power of one smart berry, the New Zealand Black Current. You can say goodbye to synthetic stimulants, jitters, and crashes that often come with your typical pre-workout powders or gels and say hello to natural plant-based pre-workout made from blackcurrant berries. Blackcurrants are science-backed and benefit-packed berries that have been proven to increase endurance, speed up muscle recovery, and strengthen immunity. I started incorporating two before into my pre-run fueling routine before a hard speed workout or a long run, and I can truly feel the difference. I feel like I can sustain faster paces and push harder for longer during my workouts or races. It also helps speed up my recovery significantly. Use my code JMiller for $10 off your order at twobefore.com. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Miller. Every week, I chat with fascinating people from all walks of life in order to bring you knowledge, inspiration, and insight. If you enjoy the show, you can support it by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it with a friend. This is the Jeremy Miller Podcast. All right, you ready? Yeah. All right, Dominic. Oh, wait, hold on. Is it Schluter, right? Schleter. Schleter. I've been saying Schluter in my head. Well, the, the, it's actually the correct German pronunciation is Schluter, and then one of my relatives just switched it up <laughs> a few years ago. So Schluter is technically, you know, you're saying it correct. If okay. w- we were in German, all the Germans would call Schluter, but someone changed it. Do you just Schluter. tell people that to make them feel better when they say it wrong? Um, it depends on the setting. So like as a kid, whenever I'd like win awards for cross country, like we'd just let it be. Um, or the funniest are like the dads that like are calling out kids' names and giving out awards and they're like, they really want to correct when they get the names right. It's like, no, you're not going to get it right. (laughs) (laughs) They'll be like on try three. Like I've, I've heard some pretty bad 
pronunciations. And then this is funny. Picture day, sophomore year. I told the photographer my name, how to spell obviously ask how to spell it. And he, he spelled it S C H L E V T O R. Schlevetter. Schlevetter. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's been butchered bad before. That's so but funny. It's a um, That's hilarious. But if you get it wrong, I, I understand. I love it. Dude, let's just kick it off right there. Okay. Let's, we're learning the origins of Dominic's last name. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, man. Um, but dude, thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm super excited to Appreciate have you here, man. This is your first time in Austin, Texas? First time in Austin. Explored downtown uh, this morning, which was crazy. Like, I was just looking up. I was like, <laughs> these buildings are massive. So for those that don't know, I live in Ohio, and there are no skyscrapers. I don't know if you'd consider those skyscrapers, but definitely big buildings. Like, the Google headquarters is massive. And then even the Austin library, they've got, like, that rooftop space. And it's just, you feel small in a way in the world when you see the big buildings, which I think is kind of grounding. It's very humbling, I think. Yeah. And just being around a lot of people. Like, I, my girlfriend and I were actually just talking about this. We might, we're just kicking it off on a tangent right away. <laughs> I um, love it. We're talking about, like, growing up in a small city as opposed to, a, or a small town as opposed to a big city, where I think there's some value in growing up in a small town because you almost feel like you have more influence and uh, and more of an effect on your community than you would growing up in a giant city. You're in a school with like thousands of other kids. You just feel so small and just kind of insignificant. I don't know. It was just, just something we were talking about the other day of like, I think there's a lot of value in, in growing up in a small community and because then you get into later in life where you feel like you might have more value to provide. I don't know. Weird tangent to start this off on. But. No, I think it's also interesting, like seeing all the different students walking on the sidewalk or like different workers or whatnot and just thinking that, they all have their own individual lives and thoughts. And I feel like at least a lot of times personally, as weird as this is to admit, you just think you're the main character and everyone else's side characters. And uh, it's kind of a humbling reflection to be, to look at someone and be like, I wonder what they're thinking. I wonder what they're going through. Um, like as humans, we have such unique experiences. And a lot of times we think we're the only ones going through stuff. And it's like, it's just interesting to put yourself in the shoes of other people or realize that they exist. Obviously, you know it, but it's different to actually visualize it and think through it and be like, oh, you know, they're 25 roughly. Like think about all they went to to get to where they're at today. Um, I'm not saying I analyze strangers like that <laughs> every day, but it's an interesting thought for sure. That's cool, man. It's, it reminds me of like when you're uh, I, it, like when you're driving by a city and you can see all the, the like individual windows lit up in a giant building. And you're like, if you just t stop and think about it for a second, every single one of those little windows or even the, in the cars of people driving next to you, every single little car of the thousands, everybody has their own story, their own journey that they're on in life. It's just, it's very humbling to think about. Totally. Um, regardless of all of that, <laughs> dude, um, what do you think of Austin as a whole so far? Leaving Ohio, uh, you, did you grow up in Ohio? Have you been there your whole life? Yeah, so I lived in Erie, Pennsylvania uh, up until the age of seven, and then I've lived in Toledo, Ohio uh, since then. So I'm 17, turning 18 next month. And actually, so my birthday is May 12th. We moved on May 13th, and then my mom's birthday is May 14th. So it was an interesting three days, um, that those three days when we moved. So I'll have lived there for... 11 years coming up. 11 years in Toledo, yeah. Ohio. What is there to do in Toledo, Ohio? What is there to do? A fun fact about Toledo, Ohio is that back-to-back -back years, we've been voted the number one park district in America. Now, with that being said, I have no clue how they calculate that because we don't have national parks. <laughs> There's no Yosemite. <laughs> um, but the metro park system is fantastic, and you can do a 13-mile-long 
long run. Um, I just said long, long run on complete soft surface trails um, without like going back on yourself much. And then there's like a 150 mile uh, bike path that you can do long tempos on or go on a bike ride. Or there are lots of technical trail parks where they have like dirt bike, you know, paths. Or if you just want to go on a walk, um, it's the park system in Toledo is quite remarkable. But outside of that, nothing compares to what I've seen <laughs> in Austin. So, Is there a big running community in Toledo? Um, I mean, I think that's the beauty of running is that there are runners everywhere. So there's a statistic that roughly 50 million Americans run in some capacity every single year. Um, and... Um, I didn't also, know that. should I look in the camera or at you? No, just forget <laughs> about all this shit. Okay. Just me and you. Um, so, and these fake trees. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Love the fake trees. So 50 million Americans run every year. So naturally they're going to be scattered throughout. But with that being said, there's no like formal like group runs or things like that. But within high school, all the top guys know who each other are. And like there's a group chat that I have with them. So Toledo is considered uh, Glass City because Libby Glass was founded there. They're a massive uh, glass company in America. So it's considered Glass City. So I named the group chat Glass City Track Club. And it's all the top runners um, in Toledo. And we'll text like, hey, run tomorrow, this amount, this pace, like who wants to join at a metro park and we'll get together. So there's like, I feel like a small communi community around like the serious runners, uh, at least in high school. But I don't know. I'm not really looking for group runs, so they might maybe out there and I just don't know about it. Do you do most of your runs on your own? Yeah. So um, my kind of setup, I do online classes and Ohio has a rule that if you're homeschooled, even though I'm technically not, but I technically am in their eyes, um, you can compete for whatever school your school district is in. So that's a school called Springfield. Um, so I compete for Springfield and just to put in perspective how not great they are. Sorry if you guys are listening. Um, I was the first athlete and the second ath first athlete in 21 years, second athlete ever to qualify for the state championships. Um, so they're just not <laughs> the best slash don't really care to work hard. So if I do run with them, it's like they're with me for a mile. And then uh, from there, like I'll have to bribe kids. I'll be like, I'll give you a drink LMNT packet if you finish an easy <laughs> run with me. Um, and it's not like I'm hammering my easy days. I'm a firm believer in easy days easy, but they'd rather screw around and play tag than actually put the work in, which is, you know, you. I think for them at that age, it is important to fall in love with the sport. So I don't, I don't criticize them. But at the same time, part of me is like, I wish you guys would just put some dedication <laughs> and thought into this. And then a funny note on Springfield is... I, I know for a fact I am. I must be the first ever school record holder who never went to the school. <laughs> so I don't know how that works because <laughs> I technically in their eyes am a school record holder, but right. it's like I don't go to the school. So I, I always that. laugh about that. I'm like, I need a special title or something. <laughs> That's impressive, man. Um, what got you into running initially? Yeah, so I talked about growing up in Erie, Pennsylvania mm -hmm. and Erie, Pennsylvania, um, out of all the cities in the United States on average, gets the most snowfall in inches every single year. My parents, I'm the youngest of six kids, wanted to keep us active in the winter and not just staying inside. Outside of shoveling, you can't really do much in Erie. So uh, we had a YMCA about two miles um, down the road, and they would take us three times a week to the YMCA. Um, we'd run for 30 minutes, um, three times a week. And naturally being the youngest, I just got roped into whatever my older siblings were doing. So at this young age, uh, at five was when I first started going to the YMCA with my older siblings and my parents started this 30 minutes, three times a week. And then through that, uh, I have three older sisters, but two, uh, ran with us. And then the other one like did elliptical or whatever soft thing with my mom <laughs> for 30 minutes while we were running. Um, I realized that I was significantly better than my two older sisters at these 30 minutes.
minute runs and my two older brothers would egg me on like go get them like how many times can you lap them because i remember very vividly this lap was or this lap this track was 20 laps to a mile um so it was just like they were like how many times can you lap Catherine and grace today and through that i realized oh i'm actually better than my sisters at this which at five years old you're not better than them that much um because they were older than me so that was kind of my first experience in the sport of like okay i'm good at this and my brothers are encouraging it so this is a pretty freaking sweet activity um but we did dread uh, my parents made us wake up at 6 a.m so we could get it done before school so it was always miserable hearing my parents wake us up time to go run Um, that's awesome dude yeah so you were five years old when that all five years old when i started running and then the school system in erie let you competitively run in kindergarten so like two years later i was like or one year later i was like racing kids which is really interesting um i didn't know that was a thing yeah it, growing up in Wyoming, we didn't have anything. As far as I know, there wasn't anything competitive till like middle school. Right. We had like track day, like the one day a year <laughs> in yeah. elementary. But that's cool that they had. A, was it like a, a club or was it a part of a school? Yeah. So I ran for St. George School, and all the Catholic schools had a little league that they'd compete against each other. Um, and looking, going to meets now, even seeing like first graders, it's like, you guys are so small. <laughs> so I can't even imagine just watching kindergartners in the, I think the race at that age was like 800 meters, which yeah. feels like a marathon when you're five yeah. or six. So yeah, definitely a unique setup. But I do think the lessons that sport can teach you at that age, if you can teach a five-year-old discipline in that way, or pushing hard when it gets hard 400 meters into that race, um, which is like a half marathon, it feels like, and continuing to push and getting the encouragement from other parents when you want to start walking. I think learning those lessons at that age was fundamental for me. And I also see, I think, the benefits of uh, I would totally put my kid in running at five if I could. Yeah, I think sports provide so much value. I think sports are just crucial for kids. Like they teach you how to handle wins. They teach you how to handle losses like you said, when there's moments when you want to stop and walk or you don't want to go to practice or there's a time you don't want to do something, they teach you the responsibility. They teach you how to do just so many things that are so valuable later on in your life. Um, I feel like without sports, I definitely wouldn't be doing anything that I'm doing now. Um, do you feel like that, that running has now taught you all of those kinds of things that can bleed into everyday life, like you know, doing a podcast or getting through school or just whenever things tend to get challenging in life? Do you think running, do you think a lot of that comes back to your experience running? 10,000%. I think the lessons and attributes that I gained from the sport and specifically in middle school when I started to want to get better at that and then you learn the lessons of dedication, consistency, getting a good support system, nutrition, sleep, etc. All those things have been fundamental in any other endeavor in life, whether it be school or specifically podcasting. I realized, um, you know, we can get into this later, but like when the podcast wasn't really doing well slash I was like, oh, if I'm already putting time and effort into this, might as well, you know, take it a step further and actually see if I can get good. I went to running. Okay, what got me good in running? It was the consistency aspect. It was going from running three times a week at practice to running every single day and a decent amount of mileage and being serious about hard days and easy days and and the balance between those. And taking that model, I implemented it into the podcast. How can I be more consistent with the podcast? And through that, the results came. Um, And I think the same can be said for relationships. So many people want to rush relationships, but it's really a long game, just like running or school. You know, you can't rush a history paper that's 2,000 words. You got to be consistent every day in the small day-to-day 
ways, even though as much as I hate history papers, like that is the winning formula, just that consistent work over time and laying a brick and being satisfied with laying one brick and then the next day coming back and laying another and another and another. And soon enough, you'll have a beautiful foundation. But in the moment, you think the work is insignificant, but over time, from a outsider's perspective, from a worldview, it's like, whoa, you know, I built something special. So absolutely, the lessons I learned from running have been so fundamental to everything else. And that's why, you know, hopefully I'm hoping my kids will love it. But I do think that too often we think that lessons we learn are like in one specific thing. I very well could have learned the lesson of discipline and consistency in a different sport or a different endeavor. So with my future kids one day, hopefully, I mean, the cool thing is they can probably listen to this podcast like 20 years down the road, assuming Spotify still exists. But <laughs> um, I think, uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be, I, I want to support them in whatever they do, but as long as they're intentional about getting better at it, um, then they're going to learn those lessons, which then can help them in other endeavors. Man, you're 17 years old. Yes. <laughs> you blow my mind when I hear you speak. I'm like, how is this guy just not even the way you speak, but like just the knowledge and, and insight that you have and provide. I'm like, man, what was I doing? I mean, I wasn't a total screw up when I was 17, but I was just trying to figure things out. And I, I didn't start like thinking in this way. Definitely until I got it, not at least until college. Um, so it's it's just so impressive to see somebody at your age. And I know you you say that you don't give a shit about age. Like age doesn't <laughs> matter. Like just, it's all about your mindset, right? But regardless, it's like from, you just, you've just you had less time to experience things and experience life than somebody who is older, obviously. So where do you think you've gotten all this like knowledge and insight and just this mindset that you have now? Yeah, first to note on what you were saying there, I think that conversation is super important when using me as an example, or hopefully there's someone younger doing what I'm doing or something better, uh, hopefully out there, or someone super old who's you know chasing after their best self. I want to hone in that, on that point because I think so many people think they're too old or too young and they get into this mindset and then that um, detracts them from taking action within their own life. And then soon they wake up on their deathbed and they're like, oh, where'd my life go? Um, and that's something I would love to encourage our listeners today is regardless of your age or where you're at in life or your friends or your interests, it's never too late to become a better version of yourself. And there's a saying, you are under no obligation to be who you were five minutes ago. I think it's the truest thing in the world. You can just one day decide that you wanna be a runner and boom, you can go out and be a runner. You can one day decide that you wanna start eating healthy and boom, you can go out and start eating healthy. You can one day decide that, hey, my friends are not actually productively helping me to become the version of myself that I wanna be. It's not that hard to lose friends, <laughs> you know, change your friends. So I wanna encourage our listeners, whether you're a 68 year old or you're a 10 year old, like start to work on yourself and the biggest investment is yourself as cliche as it sounds it's really true um and too many people think that like oh i'll wait in five years to be dedicated and then five years pass and then they say the same thing and soon enough they're old and my biggest fear in life is to be on my deathbed one day with the question what if right and that's why i started a podcast super young and that's why i have friends like freaking Jeremy Miller who are like however much older than me is because, that <laughs> um, it's because it's like I don't really care what other people think and I want to be on my deathbed and know that I checked all the boxes that I wanted to check or at least went after the things even if they were failures like I don't believe in failures I only believe in lessons if you fail it's just a springboard to something else um, so I'm complete, uh, I think your question was like, where have I gotten this knowledge? Um, I think I have grown up in a very intellectual family where we have very interesting philosophical discussions at the dinner table and I was forced to sit through them as a kid. Um, and I think I've learned a lot from my five older siblings, successes and mistakes. 
and their mentoring and guidance. Um, and then through my pursuit in running, which we can get into, um, through that pursuit of betterment, I also kind of came across personal development. And I think sixth or seventh grade was when I came across an app called Google Podcasts because um, I didn't have a phone at that time. But like m my mom or dad's phone was like an Android. So didn't have like Spotify or Apple Podcasts back then. And then I found like Rich Roll, like all the self-improvement people. And I As started a sixth grader, sixth or seventh. I think it was seventh. And I just started listening to like two podcasts wow. a day. Like to this day, I just consume as much podcasts as I can because there's so much rich knowledge out there from a plethora of voices. And I think that was when I really started to see the growth in myself. And also, I mean, come on, public libraries, you can get any book you want. Um, so any book I heard talked about on a podcast or a friend or, or a parent recommended to me, like my dad was like, you should read, um, seven habits of highly successful people by Stephen Covey in like seventh grade. Um, and through that, I think that's where I kind of started to see personal growth. Um, one thing I pride myself on is being a curious thinker and just chasing curiosity, um, assuming it's rightly ordered. And through that, I think through that curiosity, I've been able to read a ton of amazing books, have a ton of awesome conversations with people like yourself, listen to incredible podcasts. Um, and the best part is like, I've come a long way, but I have so much further to go. Um, and I think that's the beautiful thing of having that perspective. Like sure, it's cool where I'm at and I'm proud of myself for how far I've come in life, but it's like, I have so much further to go Dude. and so much to learn from so many people. Dude, if you're, if you're at this point when you're 17, I can't imagine where you're going to be in five, 10 years from now. It's, I'm, I'm very excited to see it, but dude, it. you said so many great things in there. Um, one of the points was you talked about like just the choices that we make are, are what lead to our lives. And somebody, I can't remember who it was. It was telling me the other day. Uh, it was my, it was Pierce. We were talking about it after the podcast was recorded. He was saying that your lifestyle, wait, what was it? I'm, I'm messing it up. <laughs> I think it's your lifestyle leads to, to your life or something along those lines. Basically the, the point is like, whatever you choose to do on a day-to-day -day basis, if you choose to go for a run in the morning, you're a runner. If you choose to eat healthy, you're a healthy person. If you choose to spend time with your kids, you're a good parent. Like whatever it is, we have the choices and we have the power to make our lives into whatever we want them to be. And I think, I think everybody knows that, but for some reason, you know, we just don't take action on it a lot of times. Um, I don't know what, what, cause you to to take action because i know that's something you really pride yourself on is like don't suffer from paralysis by analysis don't overthink stuff just just do it like just take action on it where do you think that comes from i think looking from an outsider's point of view humans consume 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 but very rarely do they act on it or create on it kind of as you're talking about and for me it was like great i listened to this many podcasts and great i've read why we sleep and atomic habits and um, le eaters, eaters, leaders eat last. Wow. I just butchered that name. Sorry, Simon Sinek. Um, start with why is another book I read and it's like, great if I consumed all that, but if I don't act on it, I'm basically going against the whole premise of, of these writers or these podcasters or these people in my life. Um, and I love the saying, you can't improve what doesn't already exist. And I think, um, when you approach life with that mindset, it's just, you go after things and, um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm answering your question. It's hard to pinpoint a time where I started taking action. I just realized that if you want to get good at running, you have to do the work. If you want to become intelligent, you have to read the books, consume the knowledge. 
if you want to be a kind person, you have to practice kindness when it's really hard or with the people that you don't want to be kind to. If you want to be joyful, you have to practice joy on the days when you wake up and things aren't going your way and it's a bad hair day or like, you know, the sun's not shining, like whatever it is, you have to choose joy in those moments. Um, and yeah, we all have choices and it's just a, a matter of, are we going to consume and not act on it or, um, just consume and then use that as a springboard to action. So I don't think there was a specific moment or light bulb that I can point to of like, Oh, this is when I started acting. It was more just, I very much realized that in order to get results in life, you have to work for them. You can't sit on the couch and expect things to come to you. You can't expect to sit on the couch and become a good runner or have good friends without actually acting. Like I love the saying, um, excellent work attracts excellent people. Like if you want good friends, you got to do excellent work and kind of viewing these things as like small steps to get there. And you can't take the small steps. If you're sitting on the couch, you got to start somewhere. So I didn't really answer your question, but it's because I don't quite frankly know if there was ever a moment. It was just, I realized that if you want anything in life, you have to go after it and you can't just wait for it to come to you. Yep, that's beautifully said, dude. And you you definitely answered the question. Like, it just comes down to to taking action. And and or I guess the question was, um, I don't know. R forget about all that. <laughs> okay, I'll edit this out. <laughs> dude, do you edit your podcast, by the way? Like personally? Yeah, right. For now, at least. Do you like it or no? No, because it's there's no like creativity. Yeah, it's just so easy and kind of. Isn't it kind of a freeing feeling though to just know that as you're talking or asking questions, you can be like, I can edit yeah. that, uh, out or that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I want to try and leave it as raw as possible. Yeah. But like this. I do think people enjoy the rawness, but as the guest or as the interviewer, it's like, I wish I could cut that out. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's the beauty of editing your own. Right. You have the power to exactly, do that. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I said that to a guest this past week. Like, I'm excited to edit my question out because it sucked. And the guest is like, yeah, our worry is that you don't edit us out. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what to edit out. Like, you guys are fine. Yeah. And I think humans are just overthinkers. Like, we talked about this. Anyways, I'm going to another tangent. No, I'll probably just leave all that in there anyways. <laughs> fuck it. Um, what led you to starting the Running Effect podcast? Because I, you're just absolutely crushing it in the podcast space. And you're 17 years old. I don't know how many other 17-year-old podcasters are out there. Uh, and I know age doesn't matter, but it's still just impressive to me. Um, but what, what initially led you to starting the podcast? This is a, I love answering this question because it kills two birds with one stone. One, my running journey and two, how the podcast got started because they are intertwined. So as I took you guys through, I started out at five, kind of realized I was actually decent at it, um, was really, really good in Erie, Pennsylvania. I won my city championship as a seven-year-old. Um, and I remember that morning, my brother said I was super into collecting football cards. He was like, I'll buy you football cards if you win today's race, as if I didn't need extra motivation to win it. So I uh, won that mile championship. And then we moved to Toledo. Competition was a little better. Um, and I started not winning and I started kind of placing, not middle of the pack, but like top 10, uh, not where I wanted to be. And I was kind of okay with that, um, which again, I was like, <laughs> third, fourth, fifth grade, I looking back on it, shouldn't have cared so much, but I really started to not like running. And I felt like at that time, my brothers were like, still like pushing me on in a good way. Um, but I was like, yeah, I don't really like running. I'd rather kick the soccer ball around the, the yard. That's more fun. Um, and then a light flip switched. I just butchered those words. I uh, say that saying wrong every time I say it. Uh, the, I flipped the switch of the light. <laughs> I love this. And um, and in sixth grade, I placed fourth, top three get medals, biggest motivator for middle scores, those shining medals. And um, I was like, okay, next year, this is not going to happen. I'm getting a freaking medal. Um, 
So then I trained a little bit going into seventh grade, like a little more seriously, because for those that don't know, middle school practice is run two laps. We're going to do some jumping jacks some fun relays. And then you get a piece of candy or a popsicle and you go home. Like it's not serious training. So I actually ran a little bit over the summer in seventh grade. Not only did I place fourth, but I was in third the whole race and got out leaned. Uh, and that was the light bulb switch moment where I was like, F it, I'm done. Like I need to go all in because Dang. I need a medal next year. I got out leaned. Like I was devastated, devastated that I got fourth. So then in pursuit of wanting to be the best in my city, or at least, you know, as good as I thought, cause that was the thing I knew I could win. I just knew that I wasn't putting in the necessary work. Um, so then I started exploring, how do I get good at this sport through that? Went to the library, started reading every running book out there. Uh, started discovering podcasts, listening to a bunch of running podcasts, um, started finding professional coaches and runners emails and started just bugging them. How do I get good at running? Jeez, what workouts man. should I do? Like, wh like what's an easy run? What shoes should I buy? Like all the questions a new runner who wants to get good was asking through that. I won my city championship. Um, I'll actually have to send you the video wow. cause my dad captured it by drone, which is, which is pretty That's cool. Dope. Um, and that was such a meaningful race to this day. Like I kind of get chills thinking about it because I put in so much work in order to get there. And also I'm very proud of myself. Like looking back on it, eighth grade is still pretty young, even though you feel so old in the moment. It's right. like, dude, I have the utmost respect for an eighth grader doing like two track workouts a week to go after what he wants. So winning that race was really meaningful one to accomplish a goal I had set out to do a feeling every runner uh, can relate to. But number two, um, I kind of through that experience was like, wow, I got good through the exploration of reading books and talking to like mentors, coaches, runners. And I was like, how many other kids are out there like me? That was the first thought of a podcast of like, oh, I want to help other kids out there like me who are like good, but they want to be great and they don't know what steps to take in order to be great. How old were you when you first had that initial thought? Eighth grade. After I won, I kind of drew that experience to I'm winning because of the books and the runners and the coaches I talked to, but how many other kids aren't going to those means because they're not readily available. Yeah. I mean, I went through very deep holes to find people's emails. You just became uh, obsessed. Yeah, exactly. So then that you was the like first thought. 14? Eighth grade, 13, 14, whatever it is. I think 13. I think okay. 13. So then a freshman year was good. Sophomore year was good. COVID happened. And that was like, I have to take action. I'm not going to let this podcast thought live with me till I die. Even though I'm super get young, like let's just start it, just start it. And through that wealth of connections from connecting with people over the previous years, I already had so many guests who I knew I could get on. So I wasn't starting from zero because I already had relationships. So I started it the summer um, going into my sophomore year. Um, so that is 2020 coming up on three years. Um, and yeah, my whole intent with it to begin with was to give younger runners the tools and skills necessary to succeed and to take their running to the next level, because that was me. If I hadn't sought out those connections and those people's emails, like I wouldn't have been where I was. Um, and at the time I was like a pretty solid runner. So, um, I really wanted to, through my interviews, give back to the next generation of like my younger self. Like I wanted to be the resource that I wish I had. Um, so started the podcast, absolutely laughable. I, 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 I like every week I consider, should I take down the first few episodes? <laughs> like honestly, the first 50 were just 
trash. Why do you um, think they were so bad? Like, what about them? Were the biggest so bad? thing. I mean, even you hear in my voice now, you just develop so much at my age, and mm. at 15, you know, I like such a squeaky <laughs> voice. Uh, so I'm serious. Everyone, go listen to episode one of the Running Effect. It's laughable, but it's beautiful because I'm leaving it on there for the eternity yep. because it shows people where I started and where people can start. That I haven't always been this. Oh, you're on the Spotify charts. It's like, yeah, that wouldn't be special if I didn't suck originally. And that's the beauty of life and something, you know, I preach to you all the time. Like, dude, you can flunk these first 50 episodes, which you're killing it already. Like you can flunk these first 50 episodes and it doesn't really matter because you grow at an exp exponential rate, one. And two, I'd be a little concerned if you weren't, uh, if you didn't have things to improve on originally. Right. So that's how the podcast started. Um, and then I can kind of take you through how it grew. Um, I wasn't really... I was just doing it for fun, a hobby. Of course, I did have the intent, but it wasn't like something I was like super passionate about growing. It was more like I had no clue what I was doing. And I was like, my dad would edit it and then we'd throw it up on YouTube. Like I wasn't even on Spotify or, or Apple Podcasts till like episode 40. Um, so, now you're not on YouTube. Yeah. What the hell, man? <laughs> we'll fix that. We'll fix that. So um, the light, I'm trying to use that phrase again. The thought went off in my mind, similar to me in seventh grade of like, okay, I'm already putting time and effort into this. How can I be great at it? Because I'm already putting time into it. Like might as well um, achieve excellence in this as well. So basically last summer, so really not like just a year ago, I was like, I already have the podcast. I'm very inconsistent. Sometimes it's two episodes a week. Sometimes it's one every three weeks and you're not going to grow this way. I didn't have Instagram, so there was no marketing. And last summer I was like, okay, Let's actually see you do like this. You're passionate about it. You have the guests who are really, really solid runners. Like, okay, go all in and see what happens. And literally in less than a year, transformation is ridiculous. I, I'm trying to think of the number off the top of my head from last April to this April, our monthly listeners have gone up like 2,600%. Holy shit. Um, and even in the past six months, our monthly listeners are up 660%. Um, and that is proof of that consistency works. I went from an episode every two weeks to then uh, two a week to now one every other day. And so many people want the results, but they're not willing to put in the work to get there. And I remind myself that every morning when I don't want to do it or don't want to hop on an interview or don't want to write show notes for the fifth time that day. Um, but I do truly love most of it, um, even the sometimes suckier parts like editing or show notes or whatnot. Um, and yeah, through that hard work, that work ethic, and more importantly, learning how to freaking market something, uh, <laughs> even basic, um, it's really started to take off in January. Um, we were ranked as low as number 30 on Spotify's charts for top sports podcasts, which was unbelievable. Like seeing my podcast below NFL films and like ESPN shows with massive budgets. It's like, whoa, this startup <laughs> podcast from my basement where I do everything is, is beating all these shows. And definitely that had a chip on my shoulder slash just proud that I'm like, these people have like multi-million dollar budgets, the ringer, like uh, all those people. And it's like just 17 year old chip on his shoulder, really passionate about a mission. Um, and yeah, 30. And then like last year we had a top 5% most followed and shared podcasts. So seeing statistics like that were pretty neat. Um, and then now all the time too, I'm starting to get these emails from people all over. Last week was Australia. Three weeks ago was a high school in Poland. And it's just like, whoa, the impact is truly remarkable. Um, and it motivates me when I, when I don't want to do it. Um, and I got an email one time from a high school coach in Kentucky. Shout out if you're listening, super long, kind email, but his, he ended it with basically like, if nothing else, I hope this message like inspires you on the days when you're not feeling like it, not feeling like posting because it's impacting me and my team in Kentucky. I was like, Phew. 
So uh, that was a very long response, but that's kind of yeah. the, the journey in a nutshell. That's amazing, man. So you literally just made the decision. I mean, you were doing it for, for a little bit, like you said, like two years or so before mm-hmm. you actually went hard into it and just made a decision to make that, you know, try and build it up and, and grow it. Um, that, dude, that's so inspiring, man. Because we talked about before, like if you go back and look at um, like Chris Williamson, he's starting to blow up now in the podcast space. And I, I went back. This was in my internal conflict of should I start a podcast or no? Like, because in my mind, I want to be so everything's got to be perfect and look great and sound great and whatnot. And so I had to justify it to myself that like, you got to start somewhere. You just have to start. You can't improve what doesn't already. That's exist. right. And so I went back and I looked at, uh, it was like Chris Williamson's very first episode. It was just him. There was like one microphone in the middle <laughs> of this room, one like shitty webcam, like 30 feet away. It just looked terrible, sound terrible. Uh, and now he's got like nearly a million YouTube subscribers and a, a giant podcast. And same with like Joe Rogan, like go back and look at his first episode. It They're just like, these people trying to figure it out and just starting. And that's the biggest thing. And that's something that you have obviously done is you just started and you just, you just took that first step and, and got into it. Um, so do you think I, here's some numbers I want to read now. Uh, there are estimated 5 million pod, sorry, there are estimated 5 million podcasts worldwide. Um, but of those 500, Oh my goodness, I cannot (laughs) read it. Of those 5 million, there are only 500,000, active podcasts like do you think that there's something to be said there like there's i don't know what percentage that would be i'm not doing the math right now but a very small percentage of people that start a podcast actually follow through with it and and continue to do it is there what do you think about that yeah i'll I'll throw you another statistic uh 90 percent of podcasts that start don't make it past episode three so 90 congratulations on being in the 10 percent wow and then of those 10% 10% that survive, 90% of those quit after 20. Holy shit. You said 90, so 90% of the... Of, of podcasts that start quit after episode three. Three. And then 10%, the 10% that survives that 90% that get cut, 90% of that 10% uh, quit after episode 20. Dude, that's, if that, that tells you everything you need to know right there. If you play the long game, you win. And the biggest thing for me, my dad, I think, maybe thought... I mean, he was so encouraging, but he was like, write up a Google document of your thoughts and what your mission is and like, what do you actually want to do? Which I would do the same for my, you know, 14 year old son, (laughs) if you want to start a podcast and my goal, because he said, what's your goal? And I said, my goal is to impact one listener positively in every episode. And while I wasn't getting like one comment or one email per week saying this is impacting me, I I did feel that I was doing that. Um, At least even though there are a small amount of people listening, I did feel like I was doing that. And because of such the minuscule goal of that, that like I was literally just doing the podcast because it was fun, because I got to have conversations with successful people and because it was something that I was scared I would never do. And as I took you guys through, I was like, you just got to start because of those goals. They were all so process oriented that I didn't care about the outcome. And all those podcasts that aren't active and that quit after episode three, it's because they post and they expect 10,000 people to listen, <laughs> you know? And because of that, they quit when they don't see the results or the validation. Same thing for running. Everyone wants the PR, like the the lifetime PR after a week of running. And it's like, no, if you want to be good at this, you have to be in it for 10 years. And that's why it's meaningful. Anything meaningful in life took a lot of time to get there. That's exactly what brings it meaning. You know, I love the saying success tastes sweeter when it takes 10 years. And it's so true. 
Um, anything, if you just hopped on Instagram and you had 85,000 followers, they wouldn't mean anything. But because of that journey to get there for you, mm. each one of those people actually is meaningful. Um, so for me, I think people, we live in a world of instant gratification where now our attention spans are lower than goldfish. How embarrassing is that? Is that right? a fact? Yeah. Oh, really? So I think human attention spans are eight seconds and goldfish are nine seconds. That's incredible. Um, yeah. I so, totally believe it. So I think we live in a world of instant gratification that it is so easy to separate yourself if you adopt the mindset of delayed gratification. Um, and once you do that, you're just in a separate crowd. Um, and that's what I would tell anyone starting their fitness journey, their nutrition journey, their podcast journey, their self-improvement journey is don't worry about the results, worry about the process and the process will get you to the results eventually, but you can't be thinking about the end goal. Sometimes you need to a little bit for motivation, um, but you can't rely on motivation. You need to rely on dedication. That's another thing. So many people are like, oh, you know, I'm going to be so motivated every day. And then we see this every year with the gym statistics with, um, new year's resolutions you might be motivated for a week and then they don't see the results because yeah. they haven't engaged with delayed gratification and then the results aren't there and they're like, I'm going to quit. Same thing with those podcasts. So that's delayed a, gratification, man, that, secret sauce. It really, it truly is a secret sauce. Um, and that's what I love about running so much is it's such a tangible way to see that and experience that. Like <clears throat> when I first started getting into running, I just wanted to go run. We talked about this last week when, when I came on your show, but like, I just wanted to go and run as hard as I could every <laughs> single run because I wanted to like hit a PR every single day. But when I had to, I realized that um, you can't just go out and do that every single day. It's just the consistency over time that develops the, the skills that you need. And yeah, it's uh Can I yeah, share a story yeah, there? Yeah. So um, you talked about running very hard every day. Going back to my middle school self, I didn't quite know how to get good. My thought process for getting good was running all out every single day. Of course. <laughs> kind of like you talked about. In sixth grade, I went fifth or sixth grade. I'm kind of iffy on this timeline because I've been running so long. Fifth or sixth grade, for sure, one of those years. Um, my older siblings, who kind of didn't run super consistently now, would bike by me. And also, I was too scared to run in the neighborhood by myself. I'm not sure if that was a parent issue of like instilling fear or like, but the, like every parent's like, just stay safe. And like, I feel like well, it was very valid from their perspective to be like, you know, warn me about certain things. If cars stop, like, you know, just be safe. And I think through that, I was like, just scared. So I'd always try to get a sibling on the bike. Um, so my uh, brother was biking me and naturally I was like, okay, going for a PR in the mile today. <laughs> and um, so I went out and I ran 5.30 on the dot, like on the dot. And I was so mad with myself, despite running a freaking PR, like <laughs> be happy, man. You're in fifth grade, like the world's yours. And uh, I was mad about it. So what I did was I was like mad about it, walked inside. I'm like, I'm going to go do that again later today. <laughs> oh my God. Five hours later, bro. Five hours later, I convinced my sister this time to bike by me because my brother wasn't around. And I don't think I lasted 200 meters. I just threw in the day because naturally you're not supposed to run back <laughs> right. to back all out miles. But it was, I mean, that was kind of, I've always had that fire inside of me of just like, I want to get good. I want to be better. And I always laugh at that story of, of like running a 530 mile, a new PR nonetheless. But I was like, I didn't go under 530. <laughs> I need to go run again. I think that's what so, makes you so great though. Or, or anybody who is going to either is successful or eventually become successful is like, they just have that thing in them that, whatever they're doing isn't good enough and it can become unhealthy at times I think but for the most part it's a very very good trait to have because it's just if you went out and did something that was decent and you're, you're like content with it then what's the incentive to go and get better right. or to grow but you have that thing that even though you just hit a new PR you're like fuck 
I, I know I could run faster. I know I could do better than this. I want a 529. Dude, and that's probably why your podcast is, is successful and it's going to continue to be successful is because, um, you know, you look back at those first episodes and if you looked at them and said, oh, those are pretty dang good episodes. No, you want to look at them and be like, those are trash. Garbage. Like, I know I can do better. I know I'm better now. And I know that what I'm doing now I can continue to improve on. And I think when you ever you get to the point where you can no longer say oh i think i can get better at this then you sh- you just gotta you're, move on you're over you gotta do the next thing yeah i think um i think knowing that you are bad at something can be one of the biggest motivators in the moment because even for you what is this episode five for you mm-hmm. we've talked about episode one you said you've taken so many lessons from that episode that you're now implementing into your daily strategy for the podcast Literally just within four episodes, you've been able to have that self-awareness and that growth mindset. And it's the same thing for me. When you aren't always satisfied with yourself, there's always room to grow. And through that, you get better. And then also through having that mindset of I was really bad at this thing and I'm actually decent now. It's in a it's a a self-refreshing um, thing to realize how far you've come. But because of that, how much further you can go because you just did it. You know, if you go from a 530 mile to a, a five minute mile, be satisfied with that result. Be happy with the process and the hard work it took to get there. But also realize that I just cut 30 seconds off. Okay, let's go to the next 10. Um, and being satisfied enough to have a healthy, sustainable mindset and not burn yourself out, but also being content and hungry. And that's something you see in professional athletes. They always want more. Like they always want the next ring. And it's definitely not always the most sustainable in the moment, but it wins championships. Um, and another funny running story. I do want to share this one because I even thought, what stories do you want to share on the pod today? This is one of my better running stories. So I was sharing um, about my my brothers who would bike me. This was going into my seventh grade year, and I wanted to the year after the the five thirty mile incident. Um, not incident. I ran a PR, but like I was so mad about myself. So the next year, the, the big goal going into the summer of training. Again, I, I took you guys through. I was motivated that year. I'm like, I'm not getting. I, I want a medal. I got to train for it. So again, naturally, you go to run a PR in practice. Uh, I wanted to break 12 minutes in the two-mile because uh, the two-mile was my distance in seventh and eighth grade. and sixth, it was the mile, so it was going up one. <clears throat> and um, I think I ran 12.08 like a week before, so I was right on the cusp, but I knew I could do it. I, for whatever reason, I chose a specific day, and I was not willing to budge. I was not willing to wait another day because in my mindset, I was probably like, well, I'm going to go out the next day if I don't get, <laughs> get it again. And... Um, the solar eclipse like they happen like once every 150 years or thousand or whatever it was i don't know if you remember yeah. this day but Dude, everyone was talking about it my hometown was like the the like mecca of it really in wyoming like all, uh, this is a weird tangent but every, everybody from like everywhere just came to this tiny little town in wyoming anyways go back you know to, you know what i'm talking about though everyone yeah, was talking yeah. about for weeks like this is a once you're never going to experience this in your life again everyone go out you know you can purchase the glasses at your local library <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> don't hurt your eyes so dude Good marketing with my thing. seventh grade self i realized it was going to be a high of 85 degrees that day i remember all this very well 85 degrees that day um and as I knew at that age, at that point, that you, you can't run as fast in the heat and the humidity, et cetera. What I came to find out through research was that when the moon is in front of the sun or whatever the solar eclipse thing is, sorry, people don't pay attention in science, um, that it cools down because the sun's not there. Right. There was about a seven degree differential. <laughs> so I went into that day, Jeremy, and I said, Joseph, he's my oldest brother. I said, we're going on the dot. <laughs> Like at like 1201, it was like 12 something. 
because the moon is going to be in front of the sun oh and it's going to be colder. And that's my shot to break 12 minutes in the two mile. So we went out. I came through in six flat, like 559 higher, six flat. And my brother was like, come on, you just did this. You can do it again a little bit faster, a little bit faster. And I kid you not, like I'm trying to not look up because I like heard all the warnings on the news. Like, don't look yeah. into the sun. You need to buy your special glasses from the library. <laughs> I wasn't trying to run with them on. <laughs> and um, I ended up running 1158 during the solar eclipse. And like a few minutes later, it ended. And that's one of the funniest, most vivid moments because I did something of such significance for myself at that time during such a historic moment. And we come inside, my parents are like watching the TV and... Yeah. Like that with it on the like sun. Um, but it's just such a side hilarious story that I think back to of like, I've always definitely been meticulous and like, it's going to be seven degrees cooler. So that's <laughs> so funny. Man. So my first time bringing 12 minutes in the two mile, which is now like tempo pace was uh, during the solar eclipse, which is a pretty BA thing to, yeah. to have pride in. That's so funny. Everybody else is out, you know, drink a beer, watching the moon and the sun. You're just out there running right. PRs. That's right. so funny. And I, you mentioned in there that you're like a, a very you said meticulous or maybe like analytical type of person. I'm definitely that same way. Do you feel like when it comes to, to running that do you think you develop that from running of like all the math and the calculations and all this stuff? Cause I'm, I don't know where it comes from for me, but do you th I, I don't know. That's, that's not even a good question. No, no, no. I think it's a good question. I think uh, absolutely because through learning from these coaches and these athletes, it's like if you do these workouts over uh year span so 52 weeks you're going to get good it's like the input you get the output it's not always like that but that through that you kind of learn that meticulous preparation is how you get good and that it's no one week it's no one workout it's the sum of everything um and again too often people are like oh this is one workout that makes or breaks people or the running media especially is like what's the one workout you did before you ran 1250 in the 5k <laughs> that made you run 1250 in the 5k it's like, you, you idiot. It was the 12 years of work beforehand that made this athlete a 12.55K runner. Otherwise, everyone would go do a 10-mile tempo. <laughs> um, and they all say the same thing. It's like, it's the sum of all the work. And I think something I've seen in high performers in individuals like yourself or like national record holders or national champions is they're all so meticulous. And again, maybe to a fault, but a lot of times these high performers have to have those kind of obsessive mindsets in order to get to where they are. And I'm not saying it's a healthy or sustainable thing but they realize that they have the short period of a, a high performing career and that they need to be a, you know, do the work 365 days out of the year. Um, so I think being meticulous in your work, in your preparation is how you get good. So fantastic question. No, no dumb questions, Jeremy. Like, Dude, we're well, back in like second grade math. Class. Okay. No, okay. No dumb questions. Well, thank you. That makes me feel much better. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, that's a perfect segue into what I wanted to go into next is like you've, interviewed and, and chatted with all these very high level elite athletes and runners. Is there a uh, first question one, uh, is, are there any notable people that you've talked to that like, maybe they're not even like well-known people or whatever, but like you remember them because of something they said or the mindset that they had, or just because of the, the like, you know, persona that they had. Is there anybody that like that, that you distinctly remember? Yeah. Um, two people come to mind because they're current day mentors of mine and friends. Number one was the person who the running fight kind of came out of, uh, someone I emailed back in the day. Um, his name's Alex Osberg. He graduated from Stanford, multi-time All-American, sub four miler, 13-18 in the 5K, I think is his PR. Um, and then he went on to uh, graduate school at the University of North Carolina, where he also competed for them and was an All-American last year. Um, he was 
guest one. So I feel bad when I crap on episode one because he was great. His responses were good. Right. Squeaky Dominic wasn't as uh, <laughs> much so. But um, so he he definitely has been a person who I would not be who I am today without him. And I'm definitely a, a byproduct of Alex Osberg. So episode one, that's more an individual, not necessarily like an episode, but I've learned so many valuable life lessons um, from him. And I kind of wish our, he, he's developed into this mentor of mine where we talk on the phone probably once every two weeks and just have the most philosophical life altering questions that I ask him about or take him through negotiating brand deals or getting his opinion on skipping college or these things that he's just got this such wealth of knowledge and experience that uh, he can draw from to help me out. So he's definitely an individual um, that I've learned so much from. And also I think he is very unique in that he's very fast, but he's very, he has a very um, sustainable excellence mindset where he realizes the points in his career where he's gone into pitfalls and he kind of wanna wants to help those under him who are going through his experiences to be like, okay, don't do this. Don't put your identity fully in running because I did that and then I got injured and it was a tough spot. Like small things like that as an example. And then number two is Elise Cranny. She um, also ran for Stanford, multi-time All-American. And then she went on to, uh, she, she made it in the Olympics in 2020. She's the back-to-back -back U.S. Uh, champion in the 5K. She's also the U.S. American record holder in the indoor 5K. I want to say she ran 14.33, um, which is unbelievable. So there's a reason it's the American record. These she, numbers don't even process <laughs> in my mind. So she came on episode 20. And for whatever reason, man, normally I'll have a guest on. We'll text or we'll email leading up to it text a little bit after when it's going to come out and then when it comes out i'll thank them uh, maybe say a nice thing or two depending on the guests uh particularly for her i i was very appreciative because she just had this incredible attributes that just very joyful very insightful um and through that we just like kept texting uh and like i would check in with her she'd check in with me um and through that that's another relationship that's kind of blossomed where she's also been someone that like just the running effect wouldn't be what it is today without her. I mean, she's a one of a kind human being. So those two individuals, while it's not like, I don't, I'm kind of forgetting your question. While it's not like super specific, those are two individuals of relationships that kind of blossomed out of the podcast, specifically in Elise's case. And I think too often people see the performers on TV and they're like, they're in a different world, but it's like, no, they're just normal human beings who all struggle with the same things. And quite frankly, even though they're running 13, 18 in the 5k and 14, 33 in the 5k, they deal with injuries too. Like as us mortals think that like, <laughs> oh, they're, you know, they have it perfectly fine. Or a big thing I see is people are like, you know, they're always motivated. It's like, they're never motivated. <laughs> they're just like us. They don't want to get out of the bed. They don't want to get out that afternoon to do their five mile double after doing 15 miles in the morning. Like they're just like us. Um, I do think there are obviously attributes that help them to be better than us. Um, but I think a lot of people see the athletes on TV and they're like, they're in a different world. It's like, no, they're the nicest individuals ever and, and, uh, very caring and loving and supportive. Um, but so many relationships have come out of the podcast. Um, and I think that's been, <laughs> I mean, it's the perfect excuse for myself as a high schooler to just have ridiculous conversations with unbelievable individuals. Like this CEO of the Atlantic is one Nike's historian emeritus. His whole job with documenting Nike's history he worked hand in hand with Phil Knight every week, the founder of Nike. Um, someone like him, uh, just like all sorts of different super successful people, Olympians, American record holders, people who a lot of times I'll be on the other side of the mic. It's like, I looked up to you like three years ago, <laughs> but I want to say that. So, That's uh, so cool. does that answer your question? No, definitely. And I think that was kind of what I was going to lead into is like the podcast space. This is really what got me into it a lot. It was just like you mentioned of 
it's such like we wouldn't be sitting here just having this conversation <laughs> no if it weren't for the cameras and the microphones and whatnot. Like it's such a good excuse to just get with somebody that you would never normally get with and just have a deep conversation and you get to like go into these very like dense topics and, and kind of learn from people and, and learn their insights and their experiences and then therefore share that with other people so they can learn. And it could be, you know, somebody like yourself four or five years ago where you're sitting on the other side, just taking notes, learning from these people's experiences. So it's such, it's just such a cool thing. And um, I don't know, like massive kudos to you for you starting when you did and, and going on this whole journey to do it. Um, among all of those like elite athletes that you chat with and these like really high performers is there are there common threads between all of them as far as like what what do you think makes them so elite is it their genetic abilities or <laughs> is there something internal you know mentally that they can like maybe tap into because this i should preface this question more with like i i'm obviously not an elite runner like i'm average more or less and i'm constantly trying to figure out in my in my own head i'm like do I have like genetic limitations or are these mental blocks that I'm putting on myself? And I think it's probably a combo of both. Um, but I don't know. Do you think that there's a, a thread, a common thread between all these high performers? Yeah. So first disclaimer, I absolutely believe there are genetic um, limiting factors in life. I think I would be a little naive to say there weren't and uh, that these people weren't, didn't have, like if anyone who's made it to the Olympics has good genetics, you can I, as much as I want to say that you can make it to the Olympics without good genetics, I think naturally you do have to have something there. Like the people you see that just have unbelievable kicks at the end of races, sure, you train for that, but there is something different. Um, I do think with that being said, I've heard enough stories that I do think you can become at least an elite or a professional runner without good genetics. I, I find it hard to believe you can win Olympics and world championships without those genetics, but I do think you can make it very, very far off of work ethic and whatnot. I would say off the top of my head, the three biggest commonalities I see in these high performers, in these individuals, number one is consistency. You know, um, I'll use uh, Elise as an example. Elise, if you're listening, sorry if I'm butchering your age. She's like 26 or 27. She's been working hard at the sport for like 15 years, consistently working hard. It wasn't like work hard for a year and then take two years off. It was like consistently hard working, um, you know, workouts, long runs, recovery, nutrition, et cetera. Um, and I see that in every high performer. They're very consistent in what they do and that's why they're good. And they were willing to continue to go even when they questioned if they could quote unquote make it. Um, so I think consistency is the biggest one. Dedication is the second. I think a biggest misconception as I just spoke on a minute ago is that everyone thinks these people are motivated and if they relied on motivation, they would not be where they are today. Um, when people have a true passion and calling, they'll go after it even when they aren't motivated. Um, and dedication, that's where that comes in. And I'm sorry to say, some of these workouts I hear that these professional runners do, you cannot get through on, there's no way you're motivated halfway through this session. Like, just unbelievable workouts. And it's like, yeah, you're pretty freaking dedicated and that's why you're really good. Um, dedication is second. And then uh, thirdly, I think having a strong support system is quite frankly, one of the most undervalued things ever not to bring myself into this response, but I only have a podcast at my age because of who I let into my life. Um, I'm very specific. I mean, I could count on one hand how many friends I have who are I'm, who I'm close with in high school. And it's because I would rather spend that time with someone like Alex, my mentor, who's just freaking wise as heck and just has a wealth of knowledge and experience rather than talking about gossip or the latest Jordans that dropped. 
you know, I think different thoughts than these people. And I think likewise with these high performers, they have had incredible coaches, family members, teammates who have all helped them through the downs in their journey. Um, because if you look at their career, it's not linear. It's like up, down, up, down, you know, PR, and then maybe uh, struggling with iron, anemia, and then back up. But they can't get to that up without that down of having the support system to help them get out of that trench. Um, and I think throughout these people's careers, if you go talk to their coaches or their teammates or their family, I'm sorry, I keep hitting the tree. <laughs> I apologize, buddy. He's um, <laughs> plastic. So uh, without that support system, these people could not make it to where they are today. And that's why professional running groups are so specific with who they let onto their team or who they let their team interact with. And it's not that they're like controlling their personal lives, but like, you know, if you're going to come out to watch a practice, like you have to be a specific individual. Um, and it's because they want a very specific person who's going to help those people thrive. Um, and I think, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So when Elise went from pretty decent college runner, but I don't think people would have thought she would be an American record holder to then being on a team with American record holders in Olympians, of course she's going to become one because that's who she's surrounding herself with. Um, likewise with myself, like I'm blessed to be, I would consider us ourselves friends, even though I've only known you for like two weeks. It's like, you know, if I surround myself with a guy like Jeremy Miller or Matt Choi or, um, you know, someone like Alex or Elise or the other plethora of people in my connection system, it's like, yeah, naturally I'm probably going to become like them. Um, you know, like attracts like we're mirrors of the people who we are around. So I think with these individuals or with our listeners today, a good challenge would be like if Jeremy or, or Jeremy or I, if we spent a week with your five closest friends, we should know exactly what you're like, exactly what your attributes are. Because again, we're mirrors of the people we surround ourselves with. So if like I'm around your friends and they all eat unhealthy, I could probably assume that you eat unhealthy too. Or if these people only rely on motivation, so they only run 10 miles a week, I could probably assume that you'll do the same. On the contrary, I believe that if you sent me an individual, I could shape who they are just based on if I could control the five people who they're with. Give me Jocko Willink, Alex Hormozzi, um, David Goggins, Matt Choi, Jeremy Miller, throw them in a room with those people. I will guarantee you I can guess who that person is going to become. So these individuals are very specific with who they let in their lives and are definitely blessed to have strong individuals throughout their upbringing that kind of help them get to where they are today. Dude, it's it's all about who you surround yourself with. That's it, it's part of it, a big part of it. Um, so for you, like I hear you talking about all these crazy numbers and times and these races and stuff and again it's just so unfathomable to me because i'm so far from that um are you do you want to run competitively outside of high school or beyond high school or what are your personal plans yeah uh i've, I've dealt with some injuries over the past year so if you asked me like a year ago would i want to run in college i'd be like absolutely how i view myself is from a storytelling perspective um, which we can really get into a rabbit hole here if you want to, but like running has no storytelling around it. As I said before, 50 million Americans run every year. 1.5 million high schoolers participate in cross country and track and field combined. There's yet there's no storytelling around it, right? There's no one telling the stories of these athletes. And I view myself more as giving back. You, you hear this phrase from all these elite athletes, people who come on my podcast, giving back to my sport because people gave back to them and they want to do the same. I don't view myself as giving back to my sport through my legs, I view it through the storytelling perspective and giving these athletes a voice to share their story and, and their shortcomings and their journey to get to where they are today and inspiring the next generation of athletes or the 60 year old who enjoys to recreationally run. 
um, I view myself as pushing the sport forward from the storytelling perspective rather than through, you know, my legs running fast times and inspiring the kid watching. I also think um, that I'm going to continue to chase after my goals and I'm really interested and curious about the marathon distance and the 100 mile distance and I'm definitely going to explore some of those distances rather than like the very traditional high school mindset of like, I've just been in this system really since, as you guys have heard, like really, really young where it's all, all of, always been about time. And I kind of want to transition out of that and use my curiosity and, okay, what's a hundred miler like? What's the David Goggins challenge like? Um, what are these different things like? And not really worry about time, but more worry about just checking a box of doing a challenge, um, if that makes sense. And it's more about checking a box, but you know what I mean? Like doing mm-hmm. these incredible experiences that my mind hasn't even been able to think of because I'm thinking of the next day track workout to get in peak mile shape. Um, so I view myself as storytelling, not pushing the sport forward through my performances. That's one of the best parts about running is you can, it's, there's really, you know, in my mind, there's different sports within running. There's like you mentioned, there's like the, the high school, college, like 5k, 10k. I don't even know all the distances cause I didn't run those sports, but, um, it's all very time heavy, even within like the half marathon marathon. It, it's so focused on your paces and your times and stuff. But then you get, as you get into the longer distances, like the ultra marathons, even doing shit like the Moab 240 or whatever, it's nobody cares about your time. It's just, it's so much more about the experience and finishing and just being a part of the community, all that different stuff. So I think that's, again, one of the coolest parts about running is there's so many different little like genres of running. So do you, do you feel like, uh, eventually you want to start doing like marathons? That kind Absolutely. of stuff. At what point do you think you want to jump into all that? This summer. I want to this do summer? Marathon. Yeah. What's the longest distance you've done so far? For like training for, I mean, people would be shocked at like serious 5k training. I mean, even the best 5k runners in the world are like running hundred mile weeks because speed comes from strength, right. um, which a lot of people don't realize. Like, of course you do are doing faster track workouts, but you, you need that aerobic base. The 5k is a very aerobic event. If you break it down, not to get too scientific. Um, so yeah, marathon this summer, but also going back to, and I haven't signed up for one, but I, I would love to, uh, run a marathon this summer or like, even if, you know, we have these things called GPS watches now, <laughs> like, of course it'd be cool to get in a race environment atmosphere, but I'm all about just spontaneous challenges. I think, you know, that's how you stay fresh and, um, keep life exciting is just like today again you were under no obligation to be who you were five minutes ago so might as well consider myself a marathon not <laughs> <laughs> that I'm going to go out and, and run a marathon you're uh, already a marathon or you just haven't ran one exactly yet. exactly but um, to your point there that's what makes running very very special uh, is I think too often a bad side of the sport is specifically in high school college etc we think too much about times and distances rather than just an individual who works a nine to five job or a mom who has four kids and watches them at home, who's going after personal betterment within this area of interest. And when you line up on the Boston Marathon coming up here in two weeks from today's recording, probably will have already happened when this drops, um, you're gonna line up on that start line and look around and see all the different people who you know set a goal for themselves, but the path to get there was different and the accomplishment is gonna mean different things to every single person. And that's fundamentally what I believe is special about this sport is you can set different goals and literally do the same activity that everyone else is doing, but it's so individualized, mm-hmm. just like everyone life is individualized. We all have different goals and aspirations. And um, I think that's what makes running special. Football, basketball, those are very just metric sports. How many points did you get? 
did he get a triple double today? Um, and running's very much like, sure, people do focus on the time and place. But what I'm saying is, I think a lot of times we got to zoom out and be like, you just completed a challenge that you worked hard for, or maybe more importantly, you failed at a goal, but you became better through the pursuit of that goal. Uh, and now you can go back home and be a better husband. You can be a better father. Um, you can be a better coworker. Um, through because of that dedication, that discipline, the attributes we're talking about that running gives off. Um, so I think those are some powerful things that our sport brings of like literally anyone listening today, someone who's not running can literally decide to stop the podcast right now and go run the most they've ever ran before and challenge themselves in that way. And no one needs to know about, uh, that. So I think too often we think, what are other people thinking of me? Did I qualify for Boston? It's like people care to an extent, but people don't really care. Um, and the beauty of running is that you can set individualized goals and go after them and feel the <laughs> the dopamine and the in the sense of satisfaction after going after them um and those feelings are so individual and we understand them mutually as runners because even though our running paths are completely different we know what it's like to run a, a, a pr i was gonna say a marathon i don't know what it's like to run a marathon, <laughs> soon soon but i hope uh, hopefully, hopefully no i think that's uh again one of the coolest parts about running it, as far as i know there's no other sport where you can be on the same course or the same field running essentially alongside or at the same time as like somebody like Kipchoge or, right. or, or like somebody He's like you, Boston. I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Like you, like you said, it could be somebody who has kids and works a nine to five job. They're literally doing the same thing, same day, same course, same time as the most elite people in the world. There's no other sport where you can have that at the same time. So it's, right. it's so cool. And it's, it's just comes down to you versus you instead of you versus the person next to you. Um, and that again is one of the greatest parts about it is that pursuit of you versus you is never ending. Right. It's always, you can run further or you can run faster or to some extent you can always just do something better than you did previously. Yeah. And I think so often people get stuck in the mindset, including myself of you versus me. Um, and a good amount of competitiveness is necessary in specific levels of the sport, like in high school, definitely. Um, or professional, if any professional runners are listening, your paycheck is dependent upon that. So yes, to an extent, but I think too often, vast majority of runners, uh, or let's just take this out of running, vast majority of people in life, it's all about the comparison game. And the saying comparison is the thief of joy is the true statement ever. And we're constantly comparing ourselves to others. What is this person wearing? What have they accomplished? What degree do they have? And that fear almost paralyzes us from taking action. And it's when you flip your mindset in perspective from you versus me to you versus you. And that's how I'm trying to approach my life of like, okay, cool. I might not go to college. And a lot of people will scrutinize that. And sure, it might be a little scary and fearful, but it's like life is my own to make whatever I want out of it. And quite frankly, very, very few people care. Like I think we get stuck in this trap of like thinking that everyone's thinking about us constantly. And I like love the saying that uh, you'll stop caring about what people think when you realize how seldom they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it's so true. Like we were like, oh, what's this person thinking about me? It's like, they aren't thinking about you, dude. <laughs> like, what, they don't what, really care. One quick question on that. Yeah. Uh, so you're still in school. Uh, Senior in high school. I feel like for me and a lot of other people, like they get so deterred from doing stuff like a podcast or investing in their personal content and putting themselves out there because they're worried about what their friends might think, especially it seems like high school just seems to be such a like, cause it's so clicky and like everybody knows everybody. Has that been a challenge for you to just say, fuck it. Like I'm just going to do what I want to do and put myself out there. Um, 
maybe back in the day when the podcast wasn't really good. But I love the saying, um, this relates to confidence, but also relates to kind of what I want to say here. You don't be confident. You don't become confident by shouting affirmations at yourself in the mirror. You become confident of having a stack of undeniable proof that you are who you say you are. Outwork yourself doubt. That Alex Ramosi. Um, yeah. So it, that's part of it. Is like I am who I say I am, um, and I don't really care if you aren't with that. Like, okay, don't be my friend. And and two, um, I think because I've been so selective with who I've let in my life, who I become friends with, who I spend time with, that these people are so supportive in these things. Like, I would love to leak some of my, not that they're recorded, Alex, if you're listening to this, I don't record our phone conversations, but like, I wish they were recorded and I, and I could leak some of this because of how supportive these people are. They support me in my ambitions in life and also ground me when I'm thinking the wrong way or thinking about the wrong things. And because of being very selective about my friend group and who I let in my life, who I let mentor me, who I let occupy my headspace. Because of that, I don't really think those thoughts. If I went to an ordinary high school and was friends with, you know, the, the classic high school kids, I would probably be so fearful. But that's why I preach. Be mindful of who you let in your life, who you let in your head and who you're around. Um, because if I had specific people in my life like that, like the cliche clicks, like, sure, I probably wouldn't have a podcast. And sure, I would care enough. I probably would have cared so much about what those people thought that I wouldn't have started the podcast at all. And today, I think the podcast is successful enough where, like, you know, uh, people on my track team, like, look up to it. But, like, that wasn't always the case. Like, there were definitely comments that were made about it. And it's like, cool, at least I did something. Yep. And you're playing Fortnite at home. And that's not to say that, like, you know, screw you. It's more like to say, like, I'm actually doing the work. And when you do the work, you can criticize it. Slash, you're not really in my circle of people that I give headspace to. <laughs> And I, and I think that's the problem too. We see these negative, we talked about this on my podcast. We see these negative comments and it's like, dude, those people are just hurting. And also like, I don't really care about what you have to say if it's really negative, if it's not actually grounded in something. If someone comments on my podcast, like, hey, that edit was off there. And if the edit was off there, thank you so much for the comment. Really appreciate it. I can take that feedback and improve. But if it's like, this guest sucked. <laughs> like, it's like, no, they actually ran an American record and I really enjoyed the conversation. And because of that, like you're, I'm not going to give any head space to that comment. Um, I think so much, so much of it comes from jealousy too, because in their mind, they know that you're the one that took action. You're the one doing something and they're not. And that it's just like that negative emotion and regret or yeah. whatever it is coming out. There's a saying, um, the, the reason you were unsatisfied is because your future self is watching your every move and they don't like what they're seeing. And I think a lot of people are threatened when they see people like yourself or like me or just people who are going after the best version of themselves in life. And because of that, they're not going after the best version of themselves in life. And they mm -hmm. see someone who is and they're like, oh, I'm going to tear them down. Um, so totally agree with that. I love that, man. So uh, do you plan on going to college after you graduate from high school? Or are you just going to say, screw it, I'm going all in on, on the podcast and, and Dominic? What, yeah, what's your plan? This is fascinating, and I, I can't wait to look back on this conversation because I have such a raw, unfiltered thought process about this all. My two dream schools, we're about to go down a rabbit hole, let's go. Um, my two dream schools were Stanford and Notre Dame, and I spent 117 days on my Stanford application. That's how serious about it. Um, I am a byproduct of Stanford, whether the school accepts me or not, because of people like Alex, Elise, 
Ty Dinger, Sean McGordy, Vanessa Frazier, people you probably don't know, but like nope. all super <laughs> successful Stanford graduates who have all formed me into the human being that I am today. And that's kind of why I wanted to go to the school and contribute to it. I ended up getting rejected from Stanford and Notre Dame. And then everywhere else, college is just so freaking expensive. Um, for example, I got the presidential scholarship at two schools. And while even though those aren't full rides, even if I did get a full ride, room and board is $16,000 a year. Jeez. Um, and I just think the education system is broken and we mm -hmm. don't really have these. It's like people say, oh, don't go to college. But then it's like, OK, well, what do you do? Um, and I think a lot of people use college as kind of this buffer space to, you know, you, you always hear about it. Find your friend group, find your passion, like what you want to do in life. It's like I know exactly what I want to do in life and I'm doing it. Minus the, the high school classes part. Like, I love the podcast. I want to make it a full-time job. I want to inspire people. I want to branch out this company that I already have. Um, so for me, because of that, it's like, if I want to be a doctor or a lawyer, I would absolutely go into student debt to become those things. But what I'm interested in, media, entrepreneurship, communications, and marketing, you do not need a piece of paper to tell someone that you're qualified in those things. I'll just show them that I reached 850, 100,000 accounts on Instagram. Like put me up against any Stanford marketing student. Like if you're an administrator listening to this, I might sound prideful, but it's like, come on, challenge accepted. Dude, it's, it's um, just numbers. And it's something fact. interesting, uh, I'm kind of all over the place here just because I'm so passionate about it and it's so raw. Like I got uh, rejected from Stanford on Friday, so it's all like fresh. Oh, um, and I expected to get rejected, but like all the thoughts are right there. Um, all the successful people that I talked to on my podcast, I didn't ask you this question. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. I'll ask them, how much of what you do in your day-to-day -day job did you learn in college? So I asked that to the CEO of The Atlantic. I, more interestingly enough, physical therapy, something that is so college-based education. Yeah. Um, I guess I had on the podcast, Colleen Little, she's the PT for Nike's Bowerman Track Club. And if I'm not mistaken, if I'm remembering correctly, she said 99% of what she does in the day-to-day -day and what she knows came from learning it on the job, <laughs> not mm -hmm. in the classroom. So it's like, I'm learning about entrepreneurship and marketing every single day because I'm doing those things. So I don't feel like I need a college degree or need to go into debt to learn about those things because I'm already fundamentally learning them. Um, so I'm very likely going to take a gap year slash never go to college. <laughs> it's just a question of how yeah. can I financially survive while also growing and doing what I love to do because I'd way rather make $50,000 a year doing what I love to do rather than making a million doing something I hate a nine to five corporate job that I just am miserable at. Um, but uh, maybe a broader conversation, if you're interested in maybe getting a little political, I just think the education system, what they look for is just completely lacking and failing and how I'm not even able to illustrate to these colleges what I'm successful in, in my podcast because all they care about is the GPA and what classes mm -hmm. you took and like my online school. By the way, when I say all this, I have a good GPA. Like I've only ever once not gotten an A in a class. So I have good grades, but the problem is I can't take every single honors and uh, AP class that like private school students who are applying can take. And without getting too private here, I did have the privilege of speaking to an administrator at one of the schools I got denied at. And she basically said that in wonderful individual, uh, super grateful she was willing to set up the phone call, but she basically said your class rigor is just not um, as competitive as we would like other students at this school to be. Um, and I was like, one thing I have that most every single student at your institution doesn't have is applied knowledge. I've shown that I can apply the knowledge I learned in the classroom and outside the classroom into a specific endeavor and be the first ever. I'm the first ever high schooler on Spotify's charts for top sports podcast, at least to my knowledge. And I'm pretty sure that's the case. Um, and it's like, but they don't really care about that. 
they care about you taking every honors class and <laughs> AP class. Like, why are you caring about classes? Like if, uh, so my major would be like media or entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you pick the kid that's doing the thing rather than the kid that's taking classes or got a 36 on his ACT? And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, and that makes me feel better because it's like, okay, our values aren't aligned and therefore I don't really want to go to an institution that doesn't value what I bring to the table. And then all these colleges care about their endowments, like Stanford's endowment is 38 billion. Like, what do you do with 38 billion dollars? <laughs> first of all, and second of all, I'm so passionate about this. And second of all, um, like these schools do care about money, but nowhere can you actually illustrate that. So one of the schools, Notre Dame. So to get your master's of business administration, MBA, that's like one of the highest salary jobs coming out of college. You got, have to get your undergrad degree for four years and then you go get your MBA. Notre Dame on their website states how much their students make in internships going into their MBA year or maybe like after the first year of MBA. This summer I'll be making more than every single area <laughs> of study. Nowhere, oops, <laughs> I'm very passionate about this. Nowhere could I illustrate that. Not that money is the end all be all, but they all care about it because their endowments are growing. But nowhere, it's just like, what classes do you take? What's your GPA? What'd you get on your test score? And again, it's not like I had bad grades. It's just completely, they don't view applications holistically as much as you go on the website. We evaluate applications holistically. Why didn't I get into your school? Because you don't take enough rigorous classes. You aren't really practicing what you preach about holistic approach. Um, and that may come across as prideful, but like, if you think that that's fine, it's just, I believe I, you know, I am who I say I am going back to that quote. And it's just frustrating when colleges don't value the right things, <laughs> like very frustrating, especially when in running, you can control the outcomes in podcasts. Yeah. You can control the outcomes. Obviously, like I can't control who listens to me, but there are enough people on earth that it's pretty easy to have a successful podcast if you do the right things um, or if you're in it long enough, as we talked about with a college decision, it's just up in the air to an administrator's decision and you can't really control their upbringing and how they view applications. And if they put more weight into something like a company and a podcast, or if they put more weight into a AP and honor class. Um, so it's all fresh and raw and that's why I'm so passionate about it. But I do have a heart for the kids who are actually going after what they want in life and aren't being rewarded because of it, at least from an educational standpoint. Dude, that was I, that was a very justified rant. <laughs> and I love <laughs> I love to hear that um, because I'll tell you, as somebody, my, my plan was to go to law school eventually for no other reason other than my parents told me I should go to law school. And so my undergrad was political science and went and did political science for four years, graduated. I don't use anything from that. I don't even remember what I learned. So you agree about learning it on the job? Oh, 100% because, dude, all the business people that I know or entrepreneurs or people that are working for themselves, none of them went to school. And if they did go to school, none of them are using the things that they learned in school. They learned it hands-on, doing the things that they just, you know, you have to learn when you grow a business that school is not going to teach you. Right. Um, and I have, I have so many friends on the flip side of that who went to business school. They got their, their MBA and did all this shit. And they're, they're, as far as I know, none of them started a business or they're not using the if they did start a business, they're not learning any of the shit they right. learned in school. They, it, they're just, it's, it's like you said, it's just such a broken system. And I think people just want people to play the game and be a part of the system. And I don't know, it's a, it's a very corrupt thing. And it, it's, it, it, even just going into like the financial side of things is so Oh, they benefit. Up. Why are we charging kids $16,000 a year to live and eat? <laughs> Come on. There's this like really messed up dilemma where like, as soon as the the government came out with the like federal student loans like FAFSA, um, that 
is obviously an incentive for the schools to jack up the prices right. because like, oh, they, they just get a loan from the government and they can, it, it too, it's just such a messed up system. So I'm, I'm so glad that you realize this now as a, as a high schooler, before you go down this path and get into like loads of student debt and just waste your time, frankly. Right. Um, and again, if you're going to be a, a lawyer or I think an it's engineer absolutely validated or a doctor, to go, right. Cause right. you need, it's kind of a means to an end. Right. Um, but it, my form of like David Goggins. So David Goggins, I love when he went back on Joe Rogan after his newest book, <laughs> he talked about how he reads the hate comments, yeah. records them and then plays it back to yeah. himself. Um, what I'm going to do is uh, frame the rejection letters of Notre Dame and Stanford that. and put them in my big office one day. And um, again, so many successful people get rejected from the school every year. So I try not to take it personally, but also it's not that I was rejected from the school. It was that I was rejected from those schools for the wrong reasons. And I haven't talked to Stanford, so I'm not exactly sure of their thinking. But with the schools I've talked to, it's just like, I mean, any kind on. of rejection never feels good. Well, and I'm but. a firm believer that rejection is just a redirection, and I'm a, a firm believer in Christian, and one of my prayers going into this, as hard as it was, was, Jesus, please open the right doors and close the wrong ones, and how I like to view this, at least, maybe I'm wrong, is that it, he, closed the, he closed the wrong ones, mm -hmm. and the wrong one very well could have been Stanford, and as scary as it is in the moment, I think five years from now, that Dominic will say not going to college was the best decision of his life. Not that I've made decisions yet. I just have to figure out how I can financially survive and continue to grow as a human being. And I'm quite frankly not really worried about those things because I'm a go-getter. You know, I have a good work ethic. I have the attributes. I have the networking. I've got the connections. Um, and while, you know, a sophomore at Stanford is a sophomore at Stanford taking the classes, partying every Friday night, you know, hopefully by that point, the running effects is six-figure business. Mm -hmm. And... You know, I'm going to enjoy looking at that rejection letter every day. Dude, I think you're going to be just fine. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. And I think one, while you're saying all that, I think one one thing that gives me a lot of confidence you're going to be just fine is just that mindset that you have of the, the rejection is just a redirection. Because I think so many people, and it's so easy to do this, you get rejected from something, you think, fuck, I'm a piece of shit. Like, <laughs> right. I just need to go, you know, I guess I'll just go work this boring job because nobody else wants me. I, I don't value myself at all. But... Not that it's like you, you are think highly of yourself or in like a, you know, an arrogant way, but like you just know what you want to do and you have the passion for it and you know what it's going to take to get there and make it successful. So dude, you're crushing it and I'm, I'm really excited to see it. where it all goes, man. Yeah, no, I think, um, I'm losing my thought process. I'm like in the zone. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, uh, with that, like, yeah, I think it's always scary in the moment. We, humans fear the unknown. Um, and studies have shown that 85% of what humans worry about doesn't actually happen. So when I have those thoughts of like, oh, you're, you're going to live on the streets, not that, that I have that <laughs> specific thought, but like basically it's not going to work out. Um, you should have gone to college. It's like, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> like when you have specific attributes as a human, you just make things happen. Now I'm remembering where I wanted to go with um, mm -hmm. your response there. Re re um, rejection as a redirection. I've had more companies not respond to my request for sponsorship than I've had companies respond. I would say reaching out to guests is probably half and half. Um, you know, two weeks ago, I sent out like 10 emails for like big guests to come on. Zero were responded to. A lot of people would throw in the towel. No one's coming on my podcast. And uh, it's it's like, no, that re redirects you to the next person or to the right person that will come on your podcast um, or to the next company. Like I'm doing a series with uh, presented by Hoka, the running shoe company. And that's dope. Under Armour on... New Balance, Nike, 
Adidas. Like I reached out to every single company. The last company I reached out to was Hoka and they're the ones that ended up sponsoring it. And they're probably gonna be great to work with. They're amazing already. I yeah. uh, love the company and a lot of big things coming with them. So stay tuned about that. But like for me, it was like, imagine if I just threw in the towel after all those companies. Mm -hmm. But I kept going. You you keep going until you find the solution. And again, so many humans are like, you know, it didn't happen this time. So I'm going to throw in the towel. And while I do think, you know, maybe in some things in life, it's worth throwing in the towel for if you're not actually, if, you, if it's not grounded in um, the right things. But I think a lot of things in life, humans make excuses so that they can throw in the towel early. Um, like, I don't have the best $380 Joe Rogan microphone, so I can't start a podcast. Like, that was me. No, that's that's <laughs> not how it works. Like the amount of crappy equipment podcasts that exist, um, it's more about the other things. But as humans, we like to cling to the things that justify our irrational um, actions that don't allow us to take action. There's so much value in the persistency of right. everything. Well, man, this was a ton of fun, dude. Yeah, we chatted about I know anything I feel like and everything. Talk for like a, a couple more hours. I'll have to come <laughs> back to ATX. This is fun. How long are you in Austin for? Till uh, I fly out Wednesday night. And you're, so. what, what are you here for? Can we talk about it? Uh, I think we can talk about it. Matt said something on his Instagram story this morning. So basically, okay. I might potentially intern with Matt Choi this summer. Nice. Um, and basically, Jesse Itzler wrote two books. This is a, actually a good uh, piece on persistence. Jesse Itzler wrote two books, Living with the Seal and Living with the Monks. I loved both those books. And through that, I'm thinking... How can I grow most in what I'm interested in, which is media, entrepreneurship, communications, and marketing? If it's not going to happen in the form of a college degree, it's going to happen through people and communities and companies. Matt Choi is at the top of that. So I shot him an email after my first in interview with him on my podcast. Like three weeks after meeting the guy, I'm like, hey, what are your thoughts on this? Like me living with you for the summer, helping you out with some things and also learning from you. And um, a few meetings later, I'm out here like shadowing him and Dude. we might potentially make it work this summer. But also there are... Um, a plethora of other incredible opportunities. Uh, so we'll see. But Matt and Anthony, absolute two studs. And Jeremy, like, it, just the, it's so, I'm in such a small world in Toledo, Ohio, that when I come out to ATX and see the massive buildings, and um, it's just it's just a different world out here. So we'll see if that happens this summer, but extremely grateful to Matt for um, having me out there. And um, even just these few, like, even I've been in, Austin for less than 24 hours and I've learned so much and <laughs> dude we we're going through Ikea yesterday for two hours and I'm just like so what are your thoughts on like if TikTok goes away or like you know how do you reach out to this company or like tell me about your mentor or like you know what did you learn about uh this like like person who's like a Matt was talking about this person who's really good with his kids I'm like oh what did you learn from that um this YouTube video is doing well I'm like okay what did you do well you think and even though like th those questions, as annoying as they may seem to Matt, I'm like drawing so much inspiration and guidance from. Um, so way a long way and rant to answer your question. But that's why I'm out here is kind of shadowing, figuring out if uh, I'll be out here this summer. So, Dude, I hope I hope you come out here. That, <laughs> that'd be fun, man. We'll, if I could be doing a lot of podcasts and, and content and I love it. running and all kinds of it. stuff. I love it, man. Dude. Are you are you doing any marathons this summer? Um, I've got... So we have Boston in two weeks and then the, the OC marathon that's out in California. And I've got like some ultras this okay. summer um, and then Chicago in the fall. But Let me know. I'll hop into them. Dude. I'll have to do my first marathon. Let's do it, man. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I'm just all about, even though I haven't really done too much of this and I don't like to practice what I don't preach and I haven't run a marathon. So I don't, I'm like about spontaneous challenges and that stuff sounds fun. So 
throw me in the ring. You probably blow me out of the water though. Here and you talk about all these times. But that's <laughs> so I have a, I have a friend. Shout out Omar if you're listening. We run with each other on the weekends sometimes, and he's definitely slower than me. And he was like, I want to run a marathon this summer. I'm like, absolutely, I'll do it with you. He's like, you're joking. You're gonna be way ahead of me. And again, so many humans get caught in the trap of like, you have to go all out if you're an individual. And it's like, no, I'm I'm totally fine. You know, chilling back if for the yeah. experience and and for that individual challenge. So I'm absolutely, I'm here to pace the next Jeremy Miller. I love it, dude. Miller, uh, I'll just be dying and you'll just be trotting next to me just yeah. fine. Say that, say the David guys. who's going to carry the yeah. boats, Jeremy? Yeah. <laughs> who's going to carry the logs? I need that, man. Um, man, this was so much fun, though. Uh, where can people find you and, and your podcast? Yeah, so the Running Effect podcast, if you just search the Running Effect, it'll come up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube soon because Jeremy's bugging me enough about it. Get your ass on YouTube. <laughs> and then um, the Running Effect on Instagram, and then if it's like a business thing, Dominic Schluter on LinkedIn or, or therunningeffect.gmail.com. So awesome, man. Appreciate you, man. Stoked, stoked to release my episode with you. This is so fun to do. Fancy studio, cameras, nice microphones. But yeah, I think like you said, um, yeah, these conversations are so much fun and you can draw so much out of them and they're a great excuse to go deep on subjects. And maybe as I'm on this tangent, uh, a challenge to our listeners would be seek out the uncomfortable intellectual conversations in your life and find individuals who are willing to have those conversations with you. So my brother who lives in Columbus, Ohio, two hours away from me, um, super successful individual, now musician. He just signed with Provident Music Group, which is under Sony. Sony owns Provident. So very successful individual. And I'll talk to him probably like five times a week. And sometimes it's 10 minutes when he's coming home from the gym. Sometimes it's 40 minutes when he's coming back from the airport from Nashville after recording. And we'll just have very insightful, deep conversations. Or someone like Alex Osberg, who I talk to on the phone like once every two weeks very insightful, deep conversations. And through that, through those conversations, through conversations like these, you glean so much insight from humans who are insightful and who are truly seeking the best version of themselves. So if I'm the listener today, go have an uncomfortable conversation or intellectual conversation and talk about death, mortality, talk about goals, talk about discipline, dedication, things you're lacking and things you can improve and things you're doing well. Be proud of yourself for the things you're doing well. Have those tough conversations, positive conversations because you're going to feel better walking out of that room or off the phone call with that person than you would talking about, did you see what was on the news today? <laughs> so uh, that's my challenge to everyone today. Go uh, go seek uncomfortable conversations because the only place that comfort, hap comfort happens, the only place that success happens is outside your comfort zone. I love it, man. Dude, your insight and your mindset and your just speaking ability just continues to impress me, man. Appreciate Making it. Making me look bad over here. My no, goodness. No. And again, <laughs> that's the thing. Uh, maybe another challenge for our listeners. Everyone thinks they have to have it figured out or they don't have it figured out. And humans are so critical of themselves. And like, I guarantee you, there'll be a thought in my thought process today. Like, oh, what were you saying on the Jeremy Miller podcast? Why did you share the solar eclipse story? Like, who cares about that? But it's <laughs> I like, love that story. We are all doing our best in life. And what makes humans unique is our uniqueness, which is like, duh. But it's like what makes conversation special is our uniqueness, that you bring something unique to the table, that I bring something unique to the table. And out of my 170 guests, no one is the same. And that's why the conversations stay exciting and why people keep listening. Like if they were all the same conversations, the numbers would just slowly decline. Mm -hmm. Like you're just having the same conversation, bro. I ask uh, a question to most of my guests. Um, what advice would you give to your high school self, which I forgot to ask you. And almost every single time it's a different response. And that just shows that through our human experiences, we're all different and that's what makes us special. And utilize your specialness and uniqueness for the world, for good. 
like be a force for good, <clears throat> as Notre Dame said, which I would have loved to been at their university. <laughs> but now nah, you don't need that. See me from you the don't top, need Notre it. Dame. See me from the top. <laughs> I love it, man. That's uh, that was beautifully said, dude. But again, thanks for coming on, man. Go check him out, the Running Effect podcast. Appreciate Dominic. it, brother. I'm like, so excited to see all this cool stuff you're about to start doing. Me too. Episode Continue five, doing. right? Episode five. We're on episode five. Yeah, this is five. Let's go. And that's what excites me, guys, about Jeremy. Real quick, we're just going to continue to <laughs> try this on, um, is that I was so bad at episode five, and you're like wavelengths ahead of me that I'm like, man, Jeremy's going to be on top of the world by episode 170. Because no like, I man. feel like I'm starting to figure it out, uh, and it takes a while to, to feel like that, and I'm sure you don't feel like that yet. But from an outsider's perspective looking in, it's like I didn't have tons of time this morning because Matt was throwing me through the ringer um, running-wise. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't have too much time to listen to your first podcast, but even the first three minutes, I'm like, Pfft. Jeremy's asking questions I didn't even think about. Um, like, <laughs> so uh, keep keep grinding at it and um, use this as a special occasion to realize how special what you're doing is, how far you've come, but how much further you can go. And uh, we'll run it back soon. Dude. God, you, hear, you guys hear this guy? He's crushing <laughs> it, man. You're, uh, you're super impressive, man. Um, again, go check him out, the Running Effect podcast. Thanks for all the kind words. And thanks for coming on and, and being a part of the podcast. Dude, this is a ton of fun. Podcast. That's our app, people. Let's go. Love it. Goodbye, everybody. Man, that was so much fun. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe to the channel, leave a review, and share it with a friend. And thank you to our sponsors of this episode. First is Lagoon Sleep. Make sure to go to lagoonsleep.com slash Jeremy and take their two-minute online sleep quiz to find your match for your perfect pillow. And use the code Jeremy for 15% off your first purchase. Next is Soothe Organic CBD. Use the code SOOTHEWITHJEREMY for 20% off your first order of Soothe Organic's premium CBD products. And finally, 2 Before Performance Nutrition. Use the code JMiller for $10 off your order at 2before.com and you can feel the powerful benefits of New Zealand blackcurrant berries. We'll see you in the next one.